Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Welcome to a very special Scare Guy show, home edition for those of us in quarantine, which is everybody. Uh, the place for news and insider opinions from the world of horror, fan conventions, TV shows, films, and everything that's scary fun. On this week's show, we talk with Isa Lopez, the writer and director of the critically acclaimed movie Tigers Are Not Afraid, which if you have not seen it, check it out. It's coming out on DVD and Blu-ray Steelbook on May 5th. I am not Jim Fry, as you may have noticed. Uh, my name is Ben Cleaver. I am a co-host and contributor here at The Scare Guy and at TheConGuy.com. Uh, and joining me today to host today's very special episode of Scare Guy is Carrie Lane. Carrie, hi, how you doing? What's up? Glad to be here to talk about this movie because there's a lot to discuss. And of course, as always, we have Cheeseman on the couch, which, Cheese, are you on an actual couch today or is that a love it's, seat? It's like a large size chair. So, you know, it's about as close <laughs> as, you know, we can get. It's a very comfy it's looking very cozy. chair. Yeah. Uh, and there you go. Uh, and of course, our producer, uh, Ryan Nilsson, is joining us today. Ryan, what's going on, buddy? And y'all, so excited to be talking with an incredible filmmaker on The Scare Guy today. Uh, it's a really exciting episode. It is, and we're very excited to be here today. So a real quick rundown of the film Tigers Are Not Afraid, which we're covering today with the director and writer Issa here. Tigers Are Not Afraid is a haunting horror fairy tale set against the backdrop of Mexico's devastating drug wars. It follows a group of orphaned children, and these actors that they got for this film are mind-blowingly unbelievable. The children are unexpectedly given three magical wishes. As they run from the cartel that murdered their parents and the ghosts that haunt them, they must decide how to use this special gift to save their own lives and the people they love. Acclaimed by critics and filmmakers alike, Guillermo del Toro has called Tigers Are Not Afraid an, quote, unsparing blend of fantasy and brutality, innocence and evil. And Entertainment Weekly called it one of the best horror films of 2019. Uh, it also has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is unbelievable. Issa Lopez, welcome to The Scare Guy. Uh, and we are so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I am super happy to be here and uh, doing the final lap, which is the physical release of the movie. And it's been a crazy, beautiful journey. I'm very happy. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And this film originally was released in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah, at the end of 2017, it uh, opened in Fantastic Fest in Austin. And uh, the thing is, that was after an entire year of trying to get the movie in every major festival you can think around the world. Berlin, Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, uh, all of them. Um, it got rejection after rejection after rejection. And after an entire year... It was either giving up on the movie or having a moment of realizing that it, it has this whole supernatural side to it. It is a horror movie. And maybe it was genre fans rather than art house fans. And, uh, and it connected with genre fans enormously. And eventually the art house people came to see what the hell they were talking about. And the movie happened. It was beautiful. Right, and I think something about this film, exactly what you're saying, it somehow blends the horror genre style with art house style. I was in, like, I, when 
uh, Jim told me, oh, we're going to have uh, this writer director on the show. She wrote and directed this movie. Here's a link so you can watch it so we can talk about it. I had no knowledge of this movie prior. My apologies. Um, and uh, so I wasn't sure uh, what to expect. And I'm like, well, it's an indie film. It's a horror film. Like, how good is it going to be? And then I like start looking it up and I'm like, oh, um, this actually has like people talking about it on a fairly major scale. I mean, Del Toro alone, uh, I, I know he kind of loves to get into more obscure indie stuff, but you kind of know when he starts, you know, picking things out, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty good. So um, I watched it and I was so impressed. It's, it's beautiful. It's poignant. It's, it's scary, but in this really, um, this way that really affects your emotions as you watch it. And I was just really, uh, I, I don't want to say I was really impressed in a way of being like, well, I had low <laughs> expectations, but it, I was really just impressed and, and I really, really enjoyed it. So um, that's my review of it. Uh, Luke, Carrie, do you want to jump in with anything? Yeah, sure. Uh, Carrie, go first. Oh yeah, um, well, I definitely would echo ditto because often with independent horror, it is really a mixed bag of what you're gonna get. And after watching this film, it definitely has the film festival, like really intelligent kind of style of a movie, but I really enjoyed the supernatural elements to it because then I'm a huge genre fan. So I was like, all right, you know, cause it, it would be an interesting story as is if that wasn't part of it, but that just kind of made it cooler for me as a fan watching. And yeah, the kids really grab you and bring you into this world and they were just so fascinating to watch what they were going through and what they were willing to do or not willing to do. So I, I was glad to watch it. And I'm, I'm kind of glad I went in with like no expectations whatsoever. Like, hey, we're going to talk about this movie. I'm like, okay, cool. And watch it. I was like, oh, this is really good. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's part of the, part of the package is it, it is a surprising movie. Um, and that was the intention. I, 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 every day that when I sit down to write, a script. Um, the first question that I ask myself about a scene that I set out to write is how can we make this surprising? How can we make this situation? And, and, and if a scene, a character has to do A or B, or we have to deliver X amount of information to get through that is fine. But how can we do it in a way that is surprising in a tiny measure in every scene, hopefully. So if that totality of the movie is surprising it means that I made something right there hopefully and uh, what I was going for here is to put together genres that I'm that usually you, you don't see together <laughs> so um, talking about social issues uh, like the children that are affected by the gang war in all of Latin America really and uh, and doing it through a ghost story and magical uh, supernatural realism is something that I feel I haven't seen in cinema uh, enough and I could use more of it. So I always try to make movies that I would watch, that I would be curious about. When I get the movie that I feel it would be the last movie I would buy the ticket for, I try to get out, you know, as fast as I can. And, uh, and the movies that take you to the end are the movies that you would like to see. And uh, that was where I was going for Tigers, something that you wouldn't expect. I feel that 
enough um, movies uh, with social content about the situation in Latin America are made and some of them are incredible, but not always do they reach a wider audience because that divide between in the cinema and art house cinema and genre cinema and bridging those two was what I set out to do. Yeah, and um, to, to kind of piggyback off of that, the part of the surprise for me came from knowing this is an independent film. Um, you know, you are dealing with kind of fantastical <laughs> fantasy elements, the visual effects, uh, just to begin with, like the, I think the first scene that has any kind of visual effects is when um, the, the, the main character, the little girl sees a body on the sidewalk and she walks off and a trail of blood starts to follow her down the street. And I, I saw that and I was like, whoa, like it, it kind of yeah. blew me back in my seat because I wasn't quite sure how that was going to be executed. And because uh, I had read a little bit of the synopsis first and that really impressed me in the, the how much time did you spend in post-production for the visual effects? A year. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal where you don't have a lot of money and um, the truth is you never have a lot of money. Right. It doesn't matter if you're making a tiny indie or you're making a massive tentpole. It's never enough. It's never enough to, to do what a filmmaker has in his or her head. And, um, and definitely in the case of a tiny movie, this hard to pitch because you can imagine me trying to fund a movie where yeah, kids go through the drug war and they survive and it's tough and it's incredibly sad at parts, but it's also horror, but it also has visual effects. Please give me some money. <laughs> so great, right? Right. And uh, so we were tight. And, uh, and the only way that you can afford a certain level of quality, um, especially with a stuff like... Um, uh, performances, like visual effects, like finding the right locations. We didn't have a, a lot of money to to do production design and create these places. We had to find them, basically. Mm -hmm. The only way you can do that is to put more time in it. And time not, you know, is the most expensive thing in cinema, but you grab a tiny crew that has a big commitment with a movie and you work with them for an extended period. So say for the locations, what we did is we scouted and we recced uh, for six months to find these mm -hmm. places that were as close as this magical ghost town that I had in my mind without to having to make them, to create them. Right. And with the children, it was the same. How to get these performances, first of all, we saw 600 children to find the right five. Wow. And, uh, and I worked with them for an entire month and I let them create their chemistry and their relationship so you could see them in the, in the movie mm -hmm. for an entire month prior to get there. And in visual effects, what we did is, you know, because we didn't have the resources, we have a very small team mm -hmm. concentrated and, uh, and for very few people to achieve that level of realism that we were going for, because I wanted the movie to feel a little bit like a war documentary. Mm -hmm. And the visual effects mm -hmm. had to exist in this ultra real universe. 
is to give them a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So we post produced for a whole year while the visual effects were getting there. That, of course, you know, as a filmmaker, what you want to do is watch your own movie to be able to sit down and watch it. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, what it gave me was the time because it would, I, I could do anything else in the meantime mm -hmm. to keep editing and uh, to keep experimenting with the structure of the movie. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was an amazing experience, you know, when you hit the, okay, this is it. This is what the movie has to give. And then you still have time. You go like, well, what the hell? Let's try this and try this. And I think the movie grew a lot from that process. And it's a luxury that you're not going to find a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's how we did it. Yeah. And a couple of interesting points that, that you made in there that I kind of picked up on uh, where you said, you know, I want to make a movie that I want to go see. And as I read stuff about uh, some of the, some of the directors that I love and Luke, I know we, most of us probably love like Spielberg and George Lucas and those guys that came out of USC in like the late sixties, early seventies or, or, or around that time period, they came into Hollywood saying, we want to make the movies that we want to watch. And that's where you got Jaws as we can see behind Luke there and Jurassic Park <laughs> on, on his hat and that sort of thing. Um, and well, so much universal is, here. Yeah. A, a, a direct, a Tigers is a direct descendant of the Goonies. It's, oh, beautiful. It's, yes, absolutely. How did I not even think of that? It's absolutely, it's coming from a childhood where on one hand, I was avidly consuming the Goonies and um, uh, Stand By Me, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the, the adventures of a gang of children that I couldn't have as a geek and a loner <laughs> and um you're in good company hand, i know <laughs> i know it ended up paying right uh but um on one hand it was that and on the other hand is uh my father i was raised by my father uh because my mom died when i was very young which is also part of what the movie is about mm -hmm. um was a huge film buff so he would make me and my younger sister sit down and watch uh, Antonioni and Fellini and uh, uh, oh, wow. Bergman and uh, Tarkovsky and there's elements of that art house cinema mixing with the Goonies and that's what the movie is in the end. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Loop, you have uh, some questions? Yeah, so like what kind of like jump, I know you're talking about kind of wanting to address like social issues, but like what was like the moment or the thing that happened that like, like I'm going to tell the story and kind of like where you really kind of like jumpstart in your mind, like this is a good idea, I'm going to go after this and it just like flowed from there. Well, I was miserable. That's what happened. <laughs> it happens a lot at the beginning of, of uh, I think, work of art that connects a very emotional and deep level with audiences, which has been the case with Tigers. And I think that was a miracle that while I was getting the rejections from, from the film festivals, what I knew the movie needed was an audience. You know, if it played in a theater, it was going to connect because there was an emotional honesty to it. And that's how it happened. And, and I think that emotional honesty and that connection came from the fact that, um, I was desperate. I had been, uh, I looked back suddenly and after developing many projects and making a living out of it, 
which is a dangerous thing that you can make a living out of developing stuff, not necessarily making stuff. I looked back and seven years had gone by since my last movie as a oh, director. Wow. And uh, and I needed to make a movie. And I was also going through all kinds of personal disasters from a uh, breakup. My father passed away. I had to put down my dog. It was everything falling oh, around wow. me. And I had mm. this moment of, I need to make a movie that nobody asked for that I'm not writing for anybody, that I'm not selling. Mm -hmm. I, I need to sit down and write a movie that A, only I can make. Mm -hmm. It comes directly from what I, the way I see the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that belongs really to me. That comes from a really deep place. And that's where I was digging into that childhood to create this story about kids. Mm -hmm. and, um, but I couldn't find what it was. Uh, you, you, at some point, it's not that you don't have ideas. You have too many ideas. Mm -hmm. And all of them seem interesting. And, and that's a very dangerous path. Mm. But uh, I, I was researching for a movie that I was writing and was paying the bills about the origin of the cartels during World War II. And in order to do that, I was talking with historians and journalists and sociologists. And in one of those launched uh, I, at the end of the thing, the, the guy just said, yeah, well, you know, it's terrible how it's looking in some towns in Mexico. And I said, yeah. And he said, and then of course, this, there's all the children that are left on their own and they're creating this little wild packs. And I was, that's it. That's that. That's the story that I want to say, that I want to tell. And, um, and at the same time, he naturally invited to go into genre and horror and fantasy that mm -hmm. were true passions of mine. And I hadn't been able to explore because the cinema that I uh, made a career in, in in Latin America is comedy, which I love. And there is comedy in the movie. I couldn't help myself. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it was high time to go into, to get out of the closet in a way, you know, <laughs> and as the, as the geek, I, I am. Right. And uh, and that was how it was born. Yes. Now, oh, go said, ahead. Um, yeah, I had a question of you mentioned how much of essentially it's a passion project for you. What advice do you have? And then also just your own experience. How did you keep going through all that rejection of like what, what motivated you or what did you tell yourself every day? You've kind of touched upon it a little bit, but maybe like how what advice would you give to other filmmakers of how do you keep going through that all, all that rejection? Well, first of all, it's, it's pure undiluted stubbornness. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it was so hard to make. It was so hard to write, to find the time to push for it, to convince people to put money on it, to drag all these people, incredibly talented, top of the line professionals, to make this tiny movie for way less than what they usually take. Mm -hmm. Because we all felt that what we were saying needed to be listened to. And, um, and there was this feeling that, again, I am telling this story in a way that it hasn't been told before. And I know that all of us are looking for a movie that surprises us. I knew it. And um, it's, it's, it is hard when you get one rejection, it's fine. You know, you go to that place of, oh, they didn't get it. 
And the, the <laughs> second rejection, you were like, uh, they, you know, you never know. They were probably distracted when they were watching it. Around the fourth or the fifth or the sixth, you start questioning. Mm. The movies, certainly, but your ability as a filmmaker and a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But I knew because several times in the career of a filmmaker, it will happen that we will go, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to make another movie. This is too much on the soul. I, I seriously considered, seriously considered becoming a nurse, going into a nursing school, because it is something that makes a difference in the world. Mm. Particularly now, I had no idea this was coming our way, of course. Mm. Right. But then I, I realized that I would never be able to stop myself from telling a story. So what was the point? And if mm. I was mediocre, that was still the thing that made me happy. So to hell with it. I might as well keep at it. And, uh, and turn out it was true that it would find its audience and the audience will react powerfully. Mm. And here we are. I was going to also add too, you, you kind of just said it of, but stories make a difference, different kind of difference, but stories make an impact on people. It's, it, it's absolutely true. This, um, you know, this is going to sound like name dropping and it is so fuck it. Name drop away. <laughs> uh, but it, when, when this exploded, um, I'm, I'm, you know, the support of Guillermo del Toro has been neural and central not only for uh, for tigers definitely people started in a big way watching tigers because guillermo liked it and put it out into the world you know and he did it because of the movie he, i didn't know him he liked the movie mm. and um and then eventually after after championing it in the amazing generous way that only that man can do um he reached out and he said let's make a movie together so um, yeah, wow. no, no, it's true. He's um, he's producing a movie that I'm writing and directing. It's it's beautiful. And, That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's Yay! it's great. Congratulations it's, it's, on congrats. that. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I delivered the second draft um, the day before uh, this entire madness exploded on us. Mm. I mean, in a big way. It was coming for a long time. And uh, when he got the the email that I sent with the script. I just, I said, here's this, how are you? Are you safe? And, and he said, I'm fine. I'm just um, reconsidering the role of, I'm putting different words and, and not quoting him precisely, but this is what he said. Uh, he said, I'm reconsidering the role of us making movies in the middle of something as big as that, as this, when something as big as this happens. And um, which is, of course, so important and, and so true. I think not only filmmakers, all of us get to a point of questioning what the hell have we been doing with our lives mm. in the face of something as massive as this. And, um, and I stopped for a second and, and thought about it and, and answered him that I was convinced and I was right that if anything was going to get us through this was going to be the power of a storytelling mm -hmm. because films and literature and comic books were not only the things that I've seen day to day keep me alive, 
it keeps everybody alive and it keeps us sane. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't know what the hell we would be doing right now without access to stories that gives us a window to into a wider world mm -hmm. than our contained spaces, whatever they are. Yeah, there was a lot going around uh, in the last few weeks of just like, you know, where would you be uh, without TV shows and movies and music and podcasts and books and comic books and things to read? You know, where where would we be with all that? And uh, it, it's it's absolutely true. People would be gnawing on their own legs at this point out of sheer boredom, I think. Um, and, and that's... Uh, yeah, that's what makes art so important and art so great. And it can affect change. Uh, and it it's anywhere from just escaping uh, our own life for 90 minutes to uh, causing us to think and ponder on real issues. As you, uh, I think the great thing with um, Tigers Are Not Afraid is, you know, the more you talk about Guillermo, I can, I can see knowing the type of, I don't know the guy, but knowing the type of films <laughs> that he makes. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not knowing that and, and being a fan of the type of films that he makes, it's not just gory slasher horror shock. It's this very visceral horror that is macabre and Victorian and disturbing in an attractive way. It's it's strange and and I definitely saw elements of that in in Tigers Are Not Afraid when she goes into the, and, and the other thing you were talking about finding the sets and the buildings and putting the visual effects into them. Another thing that reminded me of the first Jurassic Park movie from 1993, they blended, they were able to make the visual effects look so convincing because they blended dark kind of gritty lighting with practical and computer animated. And I feel like that was executed very well in this uh, towards the end when she's in the abandoned building. And I'll try not to give away too much, but the little tiger. Yeah, it's yeah. in the trailer, so you out. can go there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess it's been out for three years. No spoiler alert, but um, that just, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm looking at a computer generated character for most of that, but it just looked great and he was adorable, but it just looked, great and i was just able to lose myself in the fantasy of it because some some independent films you see have visual effects and you're just like that's baloney i don't i don't mm -hmm. care about that and um from that adorableness to when she opens the room with the bodies in it and they're in plastic bags and you can see the faces through the bags and and the, just the haunting and the spirits and the visions and all that kind of stuff uh it's it, it it's disturbing and beautiful. I don't know. I keep going on. I'm a fan. Sorry. Thank um, you. <laughs> you had yeah, talked. It really felt like you're seeing it from the, like the eyes of a child, you know, well, like the way that it was told. It was, uh, that's uh, not by chance. We, me and the DP uh, made a very specific effort on framing the entire movie from a low angle. Mm. Um, and uh, it's handheld most of the movie. Uh, not until the very end and the climax, it becomes aesthetic and before that is, is, is handheld and it's very jumpy and it's hiding behind the stuff and things get in front of the frame. And the entire idea behind that is that at subconscious level, you feel, you the camera, us the audience become the sixth kid in this gang. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the world from their angle. 
in the jumpy way and you're hiding behind things as they do. So, um, so when you say it's from the eyes of a child, uh, yes, uh, storytelling wise, it's, uh, we don't understand why these terrible people, these adults are taking away their parents, what's going on really? All we know is what the children, you know, imagine about it. But also it's literally, and I don't use that word a lot, <laughs> is literally told from the point of view of a child. So yeah, I, I'm glad that it came through. Yeah. Um, question. Um, so why tigers? So what was it about like tigers, like was the, the key animal to the story? The funny thing is there were no tigers whatsoever in that script until the very last draft. And mm -hmm. when we were like two weeks away from getting to the set, um, <laughs> I, again, as I was saying, I always try to find a way to make each scene from the script on something hopefully unforgettable, something striking, certainly. And, um, and I use visual references for that. So even before writing, sitting down to write the story, when, when you have all these ideas for different movies, I start making these files of images that will enrich that world. And when I'm in the process of writing a script, I go through those files, finding the images that can make these or that scene unique. And uh, for Tigers, because um, the movie starts in a very real world, and eventually as the kids are escaping the, the gangsters, the evil guys, they get to a part of town that is abandoned as happens in reality in, in cities all over Latin America because gang violence, uh, whole parts of towns have become ghost towns. So they get into one of these ghost towns and, um, and my particular version of this is nature is taking back these cities as it's happening right now, by the way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, and it would be amazing to see a wild animal as is happening right now, mm -hmm. roaming the streets of this ghost town. And, um, and I thought that a zebra would be a very striking thing to, to be in the middle of the night, these kids walking in an empty street, at the end of the street, mm -hmm. a zebra crossing. Mm -hmm. a li a, again, literally, <laughs> a zebra mm -hmm. crossing. And, um, and I went to the producers with that idea and uh, they went out looking for, uh, through the animal handlers in Mexico. And we have a couple of really fantastic ones that have worked, you know, in Apocalypto and like incredible yeah. Hollywood productions and they couldn't find a zebra. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It's not, you know, not a lot of movies that are not animation have them. Not a very popular <laughs> animal. I don't know, man. And, uh, and the day came back and they said, um, but we have a tiger and I was wait I mean if you're walking down a street and a zebra goes by it's a little dreamlike moment mm -hmm. you see a tiger walking down the street a different thing happens yeah and um and it's a really powerful symbol if these mm -hmm. kids create a mythology and a lore around the idea that escaped tiger because now we know after watching some of us, Tiger King, or at least part of it, I could only do a little of that madness. People, and especially drug lords, and they are inclined to own these animals, you know? Right. What happens when something happens to them? So the idea that there's a tiger 
looming in the dark in the in the streets becomes part of the mythos mm-hmm. that these children live in and it just started to take space and power in the script and eventually became the title of the movie and it gave me a, a way to a start and an ending the movie starts and ends with a tiger so you're telling me the film was almost called Zebras Are Not Afraid. <laughs> well, I think I would have gone with or a zebra crossing. <laughs> zebra crossing, yeah. right? Zebra crossing, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that is definitely a beautiful story of essentially a happy accident yeah. or a serendipitous yeah. change of events. It, wow. I, you know, I, I love that um, if you stand back, even from the script process and let things happen, uh, if you become more of a medium for the story to manifest mm-hmm. and let it happen, and when you're in pre-production, again, you have this idea. This The climax of the movie takes place in an abandoned spa, and, uh, and it's a very haunting place. Mm-hmm. But in the script, it was an abandoned doll factory. Yeah. And I, I went with that. <laughs> it's very creepy. And I went with That's that. It's a movie because- of its own. <laughs> yeah. At the very beginning of my career, I made little segments for Sesame Street, for me- the Mexican version of Sesame Street. Oh, cool. oh wow. <laughs> it was really cool. And uh, you remember in Sesame Street, there were these mini documentaries of how books are made or mm. how. Mm-hmm. So there, I made one about how dolls are made. Mm. And it, for the life of me, you could not do a single shot that was not creepy. <laughs> it was the creepiest place. So when I started writing the script, I was like, this is going to end in an in a, in a abandoned old factory. However, when we went into production, turns out that Mexico, as probably happens in most places of the world, there's no doll factories anymore because mm. every doll is made in China. Mm, yeah. and the, all of the doll factories had disappeared and turned into something else. So we couldn't find one. So you, what you do is you don't cry and make people make a doll factory where mm-hmm. all the money of the production is going to go into. Just step back and watch and wait, and something will come along the way. And the place we found, it, you know, it just felt wrong, which was right for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we shot there. Um, did any of the places you go to, did you feel or know, like, yes. did anybody tell you how to time were haunted? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was, right. Well, there were two, uh, but one of them very particular, I mean, the, the, the spa, that, that spa <laughs> had a very weird vibe. And, mm. uh, you know, the place where she finds all the bodies, it mm-hmm. had a very large blood stain on the floor to start with. Mm. Oh, so, no, true. I mean, we cleaned the hell out of all those places before, <laughs> she and then we had to add our own grime. But we had children right. in the, you know. And yeah, you're not yeah. going to risk. I mean, blood in an abandoned spa. <laughs> you clean that, and then you put your own blood. Right. You know. <laughs> But uh, the other place was uh, right in the middle of the movie. There's this big section of the movie where the kids escape, are escaping, and they take refuge in an abandoned mm-hmm. hotel. And that abandoned hotel has a big, large lobby with a koi pond that happened mm-hmm. by accident and a theater, an abandoned theater. And uh, that place is real. And I mean, the koi pond is ours. Um, but uh, but the theater was there, 
and uh, that entire place was there. And it's a massive abandoned hotel, smack in the middle of Mexico City. It's a whole massive block. And the thing is, it has been there for 60 years. The owner was a madman, that a millionaire that kept on building this endless hotel and never opened it. And it's his own design. So it's it's a little bit like the Winchester Mansion, right? but Mexican in the middle of Mexico City. And people don't know it's there. And uh, wow. it, it took us a while, but we got a shooting permission. And then you know that basement where she goes when she's running away from the guy. Uh-huh. And she gets... Uh, uh, she finds a hiding place which is this dark corner in a basement that place is real i mean we did have to add very little there oh and let me tell you we we did not shoot by night in that place and i'm really happy we did it yeah. <laughs> it had such a crazy vibe let me tell you oh my gosh nice Oh, that's intense. Yeah. That's and, so cool. <laughs> and, and speaking of the conditions, you know, you, you mentioned, you, obviously you're working with children and there is some, there is a very large threat of very real violence and some, some portrayal of very brutal violence in this film. Uh, when you're working with kids, was that a difficult decision to make either in the writing process or on the set of like how much of this kind of brutality are we going to expose the child actors to or show on screen having you know children involved um well at the, at the, because i had the last time i had worked with children was in sesame street right many a year ago <laughs> right and a, it was a very different tone you know so um so when i started writing but i knew all my life i knew i was going to at some point write a story with where children would go to the adventure. Because again, this is the, the stuff that obsessed me when I was a kid, the mm-hmm. reading uh, Eat by Stephen King, you know, uh, all mm-hmm. of that. And um, so, yes, when I started to write it, I, I there was a part of me going like, seriously, you're going to, to write a movie with an all child cast and it's going to be scary in so many different levels. And are you going to find the right actors to go to hell with you and uh, and I was like well you know what the rule that you have to respect when you're writing is you can't stop to think about if it's doable you just mm-hmm. you can only think if it makes for an incredible story and I could mm-hmm. not stop myself because once I had the script I had to find them and uh, and it was a concern for me and my first AD and my producers if we could bring these children to such a dark universe and and bring them back whole and happy because this experience was going to be and it was something they would remember for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. you know, can you imagine being 10 and and going through this adventure yeah and uh and uh and it was a big concern but when we met them when we found our five even before when we were when we were still looking at 50 and, and 20 of them, you could see how fearless these kids are. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's the, the excitement and the, the courage to get to emotional places like a kamikaze plane. Wow. And then, of course, the, the challenge was because they will get there. Once they trust you and you, re- again, 
the work of a filmmaker for me many times is, is not to put a stuff in, but to remove a stuff that can get in the way. Mm-hmm. So the work, the, the directing work with the kids was mostly getting out of the way the stuff that would stop them from getting there. And, um, and uh, the thing here is the biggest challenge was not to get them there was that once I, they would just go with everything. And when I said cut, it, the, the hard part would be for them to understand that now ghosts don't exist. Right. And your mother is fine. Right. And uh, you don't have to avenge anybody's death. And you can, you can go play some soccer and everything is normal, kid. Right. And then when you come back and I say action, everything is real again. Mm -hmm. That switch is really hard for a really trained actor, Mm -hmm. an adult. So, but the thing with kids is you would take their little shoulders and look them in the eye and say, and you can let go of it because I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. And if they trust you, they will. They will go like, oh, okay. Well, I'll try that with a trained actor. That's not going to fly. Yeah, well. the resilience. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's incredible. It was beautiful. They're yeah. fine. They're fine. They're happy. They love the experience. Like no, they miss it. They were so sad when we were finishing the shooting. Yeah. But they came. They got together mm. and they came to me and said, um, "So we have a plot for the sequel." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Not all of you make it." To the end of the movie, you know that. <laughs> oh, jeez. And they were like, uh, "Yeah, we know, but you know, ghosts come back. <laughs> this is these are True. your rules. Yeah. Solid, you know, not our rules." Point. So they fit me as equally. It was so lovely. And you now, passed that on to Guillermo, right? Completely. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Can you tell us a little more about that project with Gilmore? Yes. Like, is uh, there any details of that story or what yes, you're doing? Yes, and I can because. He did. I mean, I, I, I'm usually super respectful of, mm-hmm. of, of announcing a stuff. It's, it's an entire mm-hmm. weird machine. Um, but then I woke up one morning, um, I don't know, many months ago, and uh, my Twitter account had completely exploded uh, because people uh, were reacting to the fact that Guillermo had said in an interview for stories we tell in the dark or something like that. Like, yeah, I'm making a, a werewolf movie with Isa Lopez. It's a, someone asked and they, and he said, yeah, it's a werewolf movie. It's a Western. And I was like, well, it's out. <laughs> so it is a Western. It's a werewolf movie. Uh, I'm so excited about it. It's, Ugh, another werewolf western come on yeah, i know i know from the minds of two crazy mexicans <laughs> that sounds amazing of course i'm joking um well uh that yeah that really does sound amazing i'm super stoked for that i'm gonna watch uh tigers are not afraid again this week because mm-hmm. that's how much i liked it um isa thank you so so much unfortunately we are out of time uh, for today where can people find you on social media uh, I'm mostly a Twitter person, but I'm also on Instagram and you can find me, um, as Isita Lopez. That's I S S I T A Lopez, Isita okay. Lopez. And it's the same handler on both. And, um, if you're going to watch it again, the beauty of the physical release that the DVD and the steel book, especially 
is that it comes with all the extras that as a filmmaker you always dream of. Yes. So it, it has a commentary mm -hmm. uh, that I, I don't completely vouch for it. I hope it's good. <laughs> it, was, it was my first sort of commentary in English. So um, it has casting sessions with the kids and it's insane to see Ooh, where they wow. came from and where yeah. they got to. Oh, wow. It has a feature of 35 minutes feature of how the movie was made, how it was worked with the children, Ooh, nice. the kids to speak and talk about the experience. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And it, the Steelbook in particular has an hour long uh, Q&A with Guillermo del Toro uh, and me at Toronto International Film Festival and we had a blast. That's uh, awesome. Set designs, set pictures, it has everything. So it's got all the goodies that a collector could possibly want in a Steelbook edition. Well, Issa, thank you so much. You have been an absolute delight. Thank you. Um, it, it has been an incredible honor to have you on the Scare Guy show today. Uh, and everybody out there, thank you for watching. Uh, you can find Tigers Are Not Afraid on DVD and Blu-ray, Steelbook on May 5th, uh, or streaming now on Shudder. Also, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you listen uh, and follow uh, to the Scare Guy and the, the Con Guy as well. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and please leave good comments. And please go follow Issa on Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, my name is Ben Cleaver. I've been your host today, subbing in for Jim Fry. And you know, people always ask me, hey, Ben, why are you always drinking out of that red cup? Well, it's because whenever Ben Cleaver shows up, it's always a party. You can find me on all social media at, at Ben Cleaver. That's B-E-N-K-L-I-E-W-E-R. Uh, Carrie, where can we find you? Yes, uh, thank you. You can find me online at Carrie D. Lane. That's K-A-R-I-D-L-A-N-E. Thank you so much for talking with us, Issa. It was really fascinating to pick your brain. Thank you. Luke, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cheese on Couch and also on the scareguy.com. Check out our Instagram, check out our Twitter. And Issa, we'd love to have you back and hear more about this Werewolf Western when that's all complete. So thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Please well, come back. well, first of all, yes, but, uh, but first of all, let's make it, you know, yeah. let's let's get to a set, any of us. So, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. exactly. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Scare Guy show for today slash tonight. And uh, have a scary day. No, have a safe and wonderful day. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.